0: Hey folks, welcome to Your Basket is Empty, a space where I sit down with the world's most interesting people in direct consumer I'm your host, Tim. So this is Series 4 of 2021, and I have the pleasure of meeting and chatting with a select group of impact brands to unpack their story, growth, and how they're adapting to the evolving digital and consumer landscape. On this episode, I chat with Josh Enzer, VP of Strategy at YotPo, where he's in charge of leading both organic and inorganic growth initiatives. Josh spends a significant amount of his time working with Yotpo's customers and partners to understand both their needs and pertinent trends in the market. Prior to this, Josh was the co-founder and CEO of Swell, which under Yotpo's stewardship has become an industry-leading loyalty and referrals product. Before we get into it, this podcast is brought to you by Yotpo, the leading e-commerce marketing platform that's designed to increase customer engagement, promote community advocacy, and improve retention. Yotpo's single platform integrates advanced solutions for loyalty and referrals, SMS marketing, reviews, and more so brands can strengthen relationships and customers and drive meaningful metrics like AOV, LTV, CVR, and more. That's why 35,000 plus direct consumer brands use Yotpo. Start building profitable relationships with your customers today by signing up for free at yotpo.com slash your basket is empty. Enjoy the episode. Josh, welcome to the podcast. How are you and where are you?
1: I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me, Tim. I'm really excited to be here. So currently, I am in New York. uh, So I'm at our our YATPO New York offices. uh, But I'm typically based in Boston. But you caught me on on, uh, Thanksgiving week. So uh, in in New York, visiting some family. So there you go.
0: Ah, lovely. And tell me, what's what's your take on New York at the moment as where, what, you know, when you leave the end of of 2021, what's it kind of like, I suppose the same in Boston.
1: Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a bit of a weird feeling. This is my second time back to New York. So pre pandemic, I was probably coming to New York about every other week. And so I was on planes and trains and things like that. Uh, and, And it was becoming such a normal part of the routine that it is very strange to separate from that, and then all of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden, be back in the city. Uh, honestly, at this point, the city looks and feels pretty, pretty normal. Uh, the thing that feels maybe the most eerie is that, uh, probably like many other organizations at this point, YAPO, at least in the U.S., is not fully back to work uh, in person by any means. So the office uh the office is uh looks much quieter than uh than i remembered it back in february 2020 but i have to say it is there's something exciting about uh about being uh about being back here and uh, uh yeah personally i i love new york so i think yeah, it's
0: nice uh,
1: it's always exciting to uh to be able to come for sure yeah
0: yeah it's weird isn't it it's kind of like same but different type of concept Um,
1: yeah, it's, uh, you just want to believe it's, it's normal until you look at the people and you see everybody, uh, walking around in masks and things like that. But I think everybody wants to, you know, get back to normal. Right. So eh, maybe.
0: Exactly. So, um, I'm always keen to sort of do a bit of a rewind and this is an incredibly interesting story. So we're going to go right back (laughs) and I want to understand. So what was it about loyalty programs that inspired you to start Swell?
1: Uh, now you're uh, now you're taking me way back, which is fun because I used to tell this story all the time back in the swell days. But I I haven't gotten to tell it in I don't know a few years. So you're um, you're helping me dust the cobwebs off. Thank <laughs> good. You. Uh, so it is a good story. Uh, I hope uh, I, I I hope you think it's a good story too. Uh, the The story goes that. Swell was actually not meant to be a uh, loyalty company. It was meant to be a Bitcoin company, actually. Um, so maybe, uh, maybe just terrible timing, and maybe it should have been a. a bit <laughs> in, uh, in, uh, in retrospect. respect, um, but uh, I, I think either one maybe was a good choice in retrospect. So, yeah. uh, so my uh, my co-founder uh, Jim actually started working on the business a few months before I got involved. And he's been a, a big Bitcoin guy for uh, for quite some time now. And so basically, he said, you know, I want to make my Bitcoin more valuable, essentially. And And back in this was 2014, I want to say, uh, you know the the thesis on the way to do that was get more people transacting in Bitcoin, right? It was meant to be a currency, maybe a bit more than uh, an investment vehicle, which is uh, the way that a lot of people seem to be using it these days. And so, if it's a currency, you know, it's give people incentives to spend money in Bitcoin rather than in uh, in traditional currency, dollars, pounds, what have you. And and so what he what he said was, I'm going to go to to a bunch of e-commerce merchants. And I'm going to help them give their customers, because it's better for the merchant if somebody were to buy in Bitcoin. So I said, well, I might as well uh, help merchants give their customers an incentive to buy in Bitcoin mm-hmm. rather than in, uh, in other kinds of currencies. Uh, and so we went to the merchants and I said, yeah, I'm not so big on this Bitcoin thing, but sounds like fun. I'll come help you. I'll take a, a, a week of vacation from my day job and, and come uh, come help you work on it. And so when we worked on it together, I said, well, this is, and we, we tried to talk to a bunch of merchants that week and things like that. This was back in the relatively, at least early days of Shopify. We, we found this, you know, I hadn't heard of it before, but it seemed like this cool place where a lot of merchants were starting to aggregate, probably, had, I don't know, uh, high five digit, low six digit numbers of merchants back then. And we talked to a bunch of them. They said, Well, you know, this, not, not, I'm not super interested in giving my customers the incentive to buy things from me uh, using their Bitcoin. But I actually have all these other things that I want you to help me incentivize, like buying things or referring friends mm-hmm. or I don't know, interacting with me on social, et cetera, et cetera. And so we said, Well, uh, maybe this Bitcoin thing isn't a isn't a isn't the right idea. At least not right now. Uh, but we seem to be onto something. It seems to be this problem that uh, that e-commerce merchants have on an increasing basis. And so we said, well, what if we just build that instead? So the uh, the running joke we have between us is that I delayed Jim's Bitcoin vision by a good you know six seven years. But again, I I think it worked out, or would have worked out either way.
0: I'm assuming maybe one or both of you. It took out some Bitcoin at that time. So maybe things aren't too bad, but (laughs) I'm just keen to understand that. Was it, did the Bitcoin component to it completely kind of like, did you park that completely? Or did that kind of follow the early stages of swell as you were building out the loyalty program as well? Or did you totally pivot and go, no, Bitcoin's over there. We're going to park that. We're focusing, you know, only on what the kind of merchants are telling us.
1: Yeah, it's probably similar to a lot of those a lot of those kinds of situations. It's uh, it's hard to kill something like that overnight. He had already he had already actually uh, written all the code for it to be possible, and so it, I would say it was. A, I'll put it as a, a gradual sunset. Right. A gradual so sunset. <laughs> over, uh, over the next few months, first it was a uh, it was a feature in the new version of the product that we built, and then I think when rel Relatively few people wanted to use that. It eventually uh it eventually was no longer part of the uh part of the the product at some point. But oh uh, yeah, sir, sure, It probably took probably took months, not uh not years, though, to be fair.
0: Got it. And um I'd love to understand a little bit more about working with with Jim, because my my observation is you guys like the classic startup combo. You've got business and then tech, you know, combined. One part business, one part tech is that kind of how you saw it and like, how did your roles evolve like over time? Talk me a little bit through those kind of like post, I suppose, getting some traction there and moving forward in the first few months, first year of of Swell.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. So you you described it really well. Um, I think uh, if you were to ask Jim that question, he would say, yeah, he was the one who, you know, did all the work uh, actually writing the code for the product. And I was the guy who answered all the emails for a while, <laughs> uh, which maybe, maybe, uh, maybe that's fair at the beginning. That's important, still um, very important. Someone's got to answer the emails exactly. and the uh, support tickets back in the day. By the way, exactly. yeah, all of all of that, no question. Uh, but yeah, yeah, we're we're uh, we're the exception to the, the rule where the classic uh, the classic rule is don't start a business with uh, with your friend. Um, we we've been friends for a, for a very very long time. Uh and I think you know I I the reason I think it it worked for us is because I think we each knew exactly what we were getting. So in other words for me I didn't start the business because or just because he was my friend, but because I knew that he was a, a brilliant engineer and because I knew that we we got along in a certain way that would yeah you know, that that wouldn't make it impossible for uh, for a business that we started together to work out, also, and so you know, call it a, a, I think I had a more educated hypothesis than someone who meets a co-founder cold and then starts a business with them. But but yeah, that was um, that was very much the way it worked out. Uh, I think we we ended up balancing each other out very well. There were certain things that uh, that I wasn't a big fan of doing that, that he was really able to, or that I couldn't do, like actually. Um, uh, actually, write all the uh, all the software that he was able to do, and I think he would he would describe it very similarly. Uh, I think he was he was much more comfortable with me leading uh, a lot of the remaining elements of the of the business. So it was a good yin and yang factor, and it, it ended up working out really really nicely.
0: Yeah, and I suppose. It was quite early on into the journey that the Po concept or you know partnership deal came about, and I, I'm curious as to whether like was a three year exit in the plan or did that kind of come out of the blue? Like, talk me through how that kind of conversation started.
1: Yeah, so it I would say it, it did come out of or the the Yotpo, uh the Yachtpo eventual acquisition. It did come out of the out of the blue, or definitely early in in what we imagined the journey to be. So, uh, so the the story from twenty fourteen through uh, through twenty eighteen was that we really we bootstrap the business, which probably a lot of listeners can uh, can relate to, but maybe is a little bit different than a lot of other technology companies, uh, as we we didn't really take a lot of, of venture capital from the beginning. In retrospect, I think we were actually a bit too conservative, but mm. uh, but I think we were just a little bit nervous because we wanted some validation that we were actually onto something before we went and tried to raise a bunch of money for it. And uh, and, and so what we we by early 2018 we had what was what was very much a business. We had uh, a fair number of customers. We had employees in an office. Right. We had all the components that when you put them together said yeah you you, you know you're really on to something here and so in our minds we actually thought it was the the first time to raise an institution uh, institutional venture capital realm and so we we actually went out and did that uh, so we spent a lot of t- a lot of the first few months of 2018 fundraising and just as we were we actually I, and i I don't mean to minimize the fundraising process at all. We could probably have an hour-long discussion. <laughs> I know. The, I totally the, the agree. of that, but I'll I'll fast forward. And we uh, we had um, we were just going through red lines on the term sheet with the investor that we were going to uh, we were going to end up working with. And uh, and yeah, what happened was uh, early, I think in April 2018, uh, Yapo called, and basically their uh, their pitch to us was. Listen, we we know where you guys are because we just went through it ourselves, not too too long ago, at least it's not so far in the back seat that we don't remember what it was like. And the part of the business that you're about to embark on is very very challenging. And so why don't you why don't you let us come uh, come help you with that? And we'll help you accelerate the product, and we'll help you accelerate the the, the go to market. And I think the, the thing that I'll always remember from the process is the, the first day that we, we went from, we were based in Boston. And so we went from Boston to New York to spend a day with, uh, with Tomer and Amri, Yappo's co-founders and, and a few other people from the organization. Uh, and, and I remember they presented this vision around the consolidation of the e-commerce marketing technology landscape. And I remember Tomer drew some things on the on the whiteboard, and they looked so similar to a slide that I had created for the investor pitches that I had just finished. That I said, "Well, yeah, I think we actually, you know, actually, we actually see eye to eye here, mm. and maybe this does make sense." And so, to answer, I know that's a very long way. Sorry mm. of answering your question. Oh, no, it's so good. Uh, yeah, was there an exit plan? So I don't think there was necessarily an exit plan, but I do think that at the end of the day, uh, optionality was really important to us. And by optionality, basically what I mean is that as co-founders also, we were, uh, we were in very different places. I still had a lot of gas in the tank, so to speak. I still thought there was a lot of um, there was a lot of room to run on, on our business and yeah. then probably a similar thing with Yatpo. So I was really interested in continuing to, to work on that. I think for for Jim, my co-founder, again, uh, I it was uh, it was my fault. I distracted him from Bitcoin for what had been four years at that point, point. and so so I think you know similarly, he felt he felt very similar to me in the sense that we you know we we created this uh, this company together, and he had a lot of dedication to making sure that it uh, that that everything worked out really well, and so he was very devoted to it after the acquisition, also. But I think we always knew that, uh, I don't know if it was exactly three years or what have you, but I think we always knew that there would be a time when he would uh, he would want to move on and mm-hmm. that that time was probably going to be sooner than, uh, sooner than me. And I think we were both just super okay with that from the beginning. But one thing that did make me feel good about the, the acquisition was that it, it gave us both those options to either keep going on the current track mm-hmm. or maybe take an exit off of the off of the highway, if you will, a bit sooner if one of us wanted to. And Jim got to do that. And I'm super glad that he got to. And uh he's he he actually just left Yachtpo not too long ago. Um and uh I yeah, I just think we're, you know, he and I are still super close and that probably um you know the acquisition probably helped you know uh helped uh, you know helped us really keep that super strong relationship. And uh yeah, I think we're 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 both just really happy with the way it worked out.
0: That's great. And I so it feels like there was some good synergy there and you know slightly serendipitous that you had that slide and then Toma kind of put something on the whiteboard that was in line with that. Was there anything that you were worried about going into this deal?
1: So I have to say there was there was one, there's probably one thing that uh that I was a bit worried about um well probably there were a thousand small things that i was worried <laughs> yeah, of course. about yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, to whittle it down
0: like, to one or two things i get it but right, yeah exactly. big big exactly. things you know
1: <laughs> again yeah we can you know we can spend an hour on uh, that thing we could spend an hour on all the things i was worried about yeah yeah, yeah. No uh, but i think if um uh one of the things that that really stood out to me was uh back in 20 uh yeah back in this was 2018 uh, Yanpo definitely had a reputation in the ecosystem as the quote unquote uh premium provider if you will and so pricing tended to be higher for uh, for small businesses and so i think for you know uh, for a company like swell you know we had, we had always taken a lot of pride in really being able to serve uh, all of the different segments within uh within the e-commerce ecosystem and yeah so, yeah serving a serving a merchant from the the time they you know got their business started, all the way up until they became the uh, you know the e-commerce gargantuan. And you know, I think when we when we met Yadpo, we actually one of the things that was really illuminating to me is that they very much uh, believe that also. But just I think thanks to uh, yeah, probably thanks to a lot of you know legacy ways in which the the go to market operation was set up. Uh, hadn't necessarily finished all the adjustments to that. So one of the things that actually I I feel good about is that it it maybe took uh, took a bit longer than we would have originally hoped, but it's actually probably the if not the top one of the one of the top priorities for the the organization now. So uh, we can uh, we we can definitely talk more about this. But
0: uh, in
1: my current role at Yadpo now, where I'm in charge of strategy uh one of the one of the functions that uh that i'm that i'm responsible for is pricing and so we actually just uh just dramatically lower prices to uh yeah more to that um that that smaller business or the, the entrepreneur who's uh, who's just getting started um it's the first of more to come we have a series of additional features that we're planning on on uh, making available to those groups as well and so uh, so definitely I think still uh, still a ways to go and I think you know really important to the future success of the um of the business but if there was if there was that one you know big fear in terms of uh were we were we uh hitching ourselves to the right wagon I think the answer was uh, was resoundingly yes um but it's definitely you know when you're when I put myself you know when I rewind three years or three and a half years and I and I think about the the mentality back then. It's uh, it's hard to describe, but there's so much trust you have to put in this group of individuals. Who mm. in, in reality we had just met, right? We met them <laughs> yeah. probably April 2018, and uh, we uh, we essentially, you know, I think uh, getting married is is not the is not a wrong analogy. Yeah, we got yeah, married in August 2018. So you have to put a lot of trust in the uh, in the the other group of individuals that. Uh, you know that you're that you're making the right decision, and yeah. But fortunately, I I, I really think that we did. But um, but it was definitely the the thing that kept me up at night more than more than any of the thousand little problems.
0: No <laughs> all the other SPA negotiating facts, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, all the all the
1: lawyer stuff. No
0: exactly. Question. Yeah. 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 Um, I suppose that leads me on to an interesting question, and and this idea that. Maybe the the place where Yoppo was and the, the 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 ideal customer was maybe different to what you were used to or what you were trying to do with Swell. How did that work out then? Like in terms of like transitioning Swell customers into Yoppo, because obviously, and I'd like to talk more about the the team's integration into how you guys work with Yoppo. But then you had a, a a whole suite of customers that were now entering into a another world as well. Like, how did that work? Did you have to lose customers? was, was everyone on board? You know. How did that kind of play out?
1: Yeah, so so the good news was that you know, fundamentally, I think Yachtpo and Swell uh, did serve a, a very very similar type of uh, type of customer, and so it certainly wasn't about, In fact, I think one of the things that made Swell attractive to Yachtpo was that we we had a very similar customer base, so that uh, Yatpo was able to to go to a lot of its existing reviews customers. And, uh, and and introduced the Swell solution to them with with relatively good success. So it wasn't so much that the existing Swell customers made things uh, made things difficult, but the way I would describe the, the most challenging part of the transition is: imagine Swell was at the time of the acquisition probably uh, over ninety percent of our revenue came from came from Shopify, and probably also ninety percent of it came from uh, e-commerce brands, which were uh, I would say maybe below I don't know, below twenty million dollars in mm-hmm. GM a year mm-hmm. or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So we tended to serve what we call a an, an SMB type of and type of merchant and below, and primarily on Shopify. So now imagine introducing that product to. First, all sorts of different e-commerce platforms, so the mm. Gentos and the Generics and, uh, and the Salesforce Commerce Clouds of the world. Uh, and with that comes a lot of different types of customers, too. So, um, so first, a much, much larger number of what we consider to be our core, but still just a much higher volume than what we were used to. And then, in addition to that, some really, really big ones too. Uh, so, at the same time, we were also trying to really take the product up market. And so you can imagine the uh, the, the constant uh, push and pull that uh, that we were going through. And uh, and so that I would say that that first year was um, uh, probably the the person uh, actually at at Yatpo now, who's the the lead product manager for uh, for what is today Yatpo loyalty. Uh, if if she doesn't have a few gray hairs that are <laughs> available to that first year then i yeah really power to her because uh because because i sure would um but but i think that was the th- that's the biggest challenge right is you have all these and especially for for me as an entrepreneur which i'm sure a lot of uh, a lot of people can relate to if uh if you're used to running things on on what was a relatively small scale at least mm-hmm. um and you get all all these really exciting opportunities one after another after yep. another yep you want to do them all and the question the question and you know the thing that i learned a lot about is how do you focus and and why do you uh why do you decide to focus in a certain area versus uh versus another area so i think it was just um i i learned a ton as part of that transition uh but but yeah that was the that was the challenge and in reality, yeah, it it meant uh, focusing a little bit more on the on the core and getting that right before before going too too far beyond that. And so, just now today, we're starting to really get into some of the uh, some of the much larger types of brands and that sort of thing.
0: Wow, and I'm wondering, like, you've seen the kind of space and type of customer that you were dealing with in 2014, 2015 if you were to sort of like uh, have a lens on them versus today, is there other challenges? Are they the same? Are they vastly different? Like what, 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 what are you guys seeing from your perspective now compared to then?
1: Honestly, it's just been really, it's been really cool to, to see that ecosystem uh, grow in many ways. Uh, I honestly, I, I don't think there's a major, major difference in the, in the, the type of brand, right? I just think back to some of the uh, the initial brands that we worked with back in the back in the swell days, and the things that we saw were the the way to differentiate was in many ways with your with your brand. That was how mm-hmm. you stood out against a lot of the a lot of the others. We um, just see the number of brands out there has has grown significantly, but I think in primarily that's the way that a lot of companies are still um, are still differentiating today. Maybe on the on the cutting edge are the ones where uh where they have a, a very, very unique product or a very, very unique manufacturing process or something along those lines. But I think in many cases it's still it's still the brand that uh that wins out today. And so I think the biggest thing for me has just been, it's been very cool to watch the, the ecosystem evolve so much. And we've seen some of the uh, some of the smaller customers turn into much, much bigger ones, and uh, and so that's always really, um, uh, really rewarding or intrinsically to uh, to watch happen. Also, but you know, I think it's um, it's probably tougher to uh, to be a brand today to be a, an e-commerce merchant than it was back in 2014. I think just the the ways that an e-commerce business could get customers. Back mm. in the day, were they? They were uh, again. The format were the formats were very similar. It's just that with your brands means fewer uh, or less competition, <laughs> and so we, we've definitely seen the uh, the mentality shift a little bit, and just just given how many more brands there. Are. But but no, I think a lot of the fundamentals are um, are pretty similar, which is which is cool. That that's how the ecosystem has evolved over six seven years now.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Like the brand, the story kind of always wins to some degree. Although, albeit like your barrier of entry has gone down significantly. Your ad spend has gone up a bit and competition has gotten probably a little
1: bit tighter in the last little while. Yeah, um, the, uh, the blessing and the curse of Shopify, right? It's so totally. much easier to run your business now, but that means it's so much easier for anybody. Everyone else to do it. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, there was a, 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 an interesting quote uh, that I've read in the Swell Yopo announcement. Probably one of many, but the one that I saw, I think it was on the oppo site. Uh, and it talked about your acquisition being or it would alleviate MarTech stack overload, which I thought was an interesting term. Why do you think that's important for DDC brands to reduce their tech stack overload?
1: Hmm. Yeah, so, uh, so I think this it goes back to who our our primary customer is, and the majority of again both Swell at the time and and now Yadpo's business is the you know, the what we call the small to medium sized business, the entrepreneur, if you will. Uh, and so we just we know that kind of customer really really well today, and in the majority of cases. That's who we're we're thinking about when we, when we build features and uh, and you know align the rest of our business, and so when we think about more tech Stack Overload, we when, or when we think about more broadly just the the value that our technology adds to uh, to our customers, I think there's there's two things or two buckets that we that we think about, and when you're when you're on the technology side. You think about what I'll call all of the the revenue driving kinds of synergies. So, so you get excited about oh, well, wouldn't it be so cool if all the data is in the same place, mm. and if it, it's much easier to enable product B when you're when you're working with product A, or uh, if this feature where that takes a lot of time to set up in product A, where the the settings are also ported nicely over to product B, yeah. and and so there's um. Uh, there's all those things that can that can definitely, which you know, maybe aren't possible with two point solutions, which become possible when you put more and more products under the same roof, and so we get excited about those. But actually, when we spend time talking to our customers, what they say is that they're they're actually much more excited in many cases about. The second bucket, which I'll call the uh, the the time and pain savings. Uh, mm-hmm. So the it's, it's basically that by using more and more technologies from one provider, especially if you trust that provider and you and you believe in their product and you have a good experience with them, it means that on an it means that first when you're deciding whether or not to <laughs> to use a given uh, a given solution it makes it much easier or it saves you a lot of time compared to having to do a lot of research and posting in forums and Facebook groups and things like that. And then on an ongoing basis, it should mean that uh, you don't have to spend as much time getting up to speed on a new product and and managing that product as as you might have to in cases where you're not familiar with it. And that's actually the thing that I think, again, our uh, our, uh, typical customer, at least, is not the massive one where they have um, uh, they have a thousand people for every specialized kind yeah. of kind of role within the marketing organization. It's the it's the entrepreneur or the yep. small team, and so that time savings is so important to them because the list of other things that they could be doing with that time is so great, and, and that alone creates a lot of revenue because I can save time managing my e-commerce marketing. Mm-hmm. I can go do a lot of other things that are going to create a lot of growth for my business. And so that's the way that we think about it. And with every every tool that you add, the more and more powerful that becomes. And so when we say that we want to alleviate the MarTech stack overload, as there are more categories of marketing technology out there, uh, the problem just becomes uh, worse and worse unless you have a provider who can... Uh, who can solve a lot of it. And, and that's what we're that's what we're aiming to do. And yeah, that's, you know, that's why we think there's so much value in it for our customers is because we put so much uh sure, hopefully we we put some extra revenue in their pocket through some really cool product synergies that that we're excited about too. Uh, but hopefully we also put time back in there on their side. And I think there's just all kinds of uh really amazing things that our our merchants are able to do with that
0: yeah I'm always amazed. and it's something that I find is um, when I'm talking to maybe an enterprise merchant, quote unquote enterprise, <laughs> and you describe the type of internal ecom or marketing or digital team within some of the brands that we're talking about, and you look at the the return on investment on their team it's crazy. Like they are really small <laughs> for what they can do. So I, I totally get it. And that's a very interesting point that like, if you can reduce the pain and the time on what is a relatively lean team, they're just going to get more and more value add, you know, across yeah. the business.
1: Yeah. We just see teams getting leaner in general these days also. I mean, the I, the way that I think about it, the you know, a, a company started on Shopify or something like that, uh, in many cases, the biggest Shopify businesses are—you know—they were the—they were just the the standard, you know, entrepreneur uh, four or five years before that. So it doesn't mean that over the course of three, four, five years you go from a team of ten to a team of I a mean, thousand. Yeah. you probably you you go to more for sure, uh, but it doesn't mean that in many cases that that lean mentality is within their DNA. Uh, in many cases, it means they don't have tons of developers to, to create these awesome experiences. And so that's, that's yeah, it's very squarely on us. And we still add tons of value to those kinds of customers also.
0: Community building is something that has come up, well, pretty much in every podcast I've, I've done for the last, not just this series, but maybe for the whole year. <laughs> and, and for the most part, it's been a conversation that I've had with brands, but I'm curious from like a D2C tech partner, what's your take on community building? How do you guys kind of look at it? But I suppose both internally and then how you, you know, helping brands develop that and how do sure. you guys look at it?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'll preface this by saying that uh, if you ask other people to describe me, they would describe me as the analytical guy. So, you know, if I was running an e-commerce business, I'd be looking at my ROAS and <laughs> my, you know, it's an opportunity and things like that. And so, if you ask me about community, I might say, oh, "I'm not." I'm not well,
0: <laughs> yeah. I, talk to I, the community I, manager.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's. Um, I think yeah. So so first, I think that the um, the the community manager types of types of roles that that we have at Yapo, First, those are uh, those are critical. I just think there's um, the whether it's a technology company or whether it's a brand. I just think that customers in general, they just want more human interaction, right? I mm. think that's one of the biggest value props of something like Instagram. It's just like, you want to see that people are not these uh, kind of perfect people who are on a pedestal, but that we all have normal lives and we're normal people. And so when someone needs help with something or when someone has a question, it's just, it's, it's nice to be able to have, um, to easily be able to, to reach the the brand itself or to reach the, the, the technology And I think in many cases, uh, again, whether it's a brand or whether it's a technology company, uh, word of mouth is an increasingly big deal Mm. because there are these places where a lot of potential customers go and want to talk to each other and and, uh, compare notes and things like that. And in a world where people actually want to do that sort of activity rather than, uh, I don't know, go into a store and compare a bunch of products and try to decide on their own, or uh, talk to ten different salespeople and then uh, and then choose the best pitch. Yeah, you know, the, the community becomes more and more vital over time, from uh, uh, from my perspective. And so, if you can have a um, you know if you can have groups or one just groups where people can talk to each other, and you can have people who are uh, in and of themselves, you know, big promoters of your brand or your technology company. Then, then that really creates a, uh, a strong tidal wave in your direction And then uh, you know I think in in addition to that uh if you can have, have a place where you can be where you can be accessible, uh, I think it yeah there's there's no question it uh, not only does it does it do wonders but I just think it's the it's the way in which uh, all these interactions are um are clearly heading right I think people have disproportionately value the ability to, to hear from the, the brand or the company. Mm-hmm. And it, there's just so much value in knowing that it's not this uh, behemoth organization that doesn't care about you as a consumer or as a as a consumer of marketing technology, but um but that you know you get treated like a person. I think it's uh yeah, I, I think it's it's very vital and it's something that we think about with our software, you know, for the for the brands that we work with, uh how we can help them further those community building types of, uh, you know, types of efforts because just, just recognizing that that's the, the way in which the uh, the market is headed. So I suppose following on from that and looking
0: forward into 2022, um, I'm curious to understand like what's next for Yotpo and it would be remiss of me not to mention <laughs> and get a little bit of insight into the Shopify and Yotpo partnership and kind of how it all plays into it. Can you give me any insight
1: yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. There's uh, there's insight I can give you, and then maybe a couple of uh, a couple of very exciting things that I can't quite give you, uh, at least not quite yet. But uh, but yeah, we're 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 really really excited for uh, for the the coming year and, and the coming years. Um, some of the things. So uh, shop Shopify uh, aside for a second, um, I think there are a few things that we're that we're really excited about for next year. Um, one one is we are we're going to release some some really exciting things related to the the platform in and of itself. Uh, and so I would I would say that in general uh, we we want to have uh, products which are best in class in and of themselves. So we want to have the best reviews product on the market, the best loyalty product, the best SMS product. Uh, but in addition to that, what we think is really really powerful is if we can. Carve out just a little bit of time to making sure that all those products work really well together, yep. and that there yep. are, there are opportunities for our customers to get you know some some real disproportionate value out of using all of them together. Then uh, then that's really really exciting. And so that that for us for next year, just to be just to give you a little bit more specifics, uh, that's going to mean anything from one actually giving our customers. So if you're using uh, sms and loyalty and reviews uh seeing all of that customer activity in the first place for the yep. first time and then actually yep. going you're gonna be able to do things with that which is uh which is really exciting so imagine you know someone who has uh, uh has uh, has written five positive reviews and is on your top vip tier and things like that um uh, imagine being able to, uh to to treat them differently from a loyalty program perspective right give them a run a campaign where uh you you give them bonus points over a holiday weekend but only then or you give those customers uh early access to a new product or and and you're able to send that really easily with uh with an sms uh that is you know that's the kind of thing that again we we kind of geek out on on the product (laughs) side over here uh, so, so those kinds of things. I think just the the extent to which the product itself is going to be really interconnected and be more of a platform. Uh, we're we're really excited about that. Uh, we will have a couple of new products which are which are going to be coming next year. So we are excited about those. Uh, those are under wraps for the time being. But yeah, by probably by uh, middle of next year, they will uh, they'll be they'll be well known. And then yeah, of course, the uh the Shopify, the Shopify relationship is uh is exciting for uh for a number of reasons. Uh and and definitely there are there are a bunch of exciting things that we're exploring, especially on the product side right now. But again, yeah, probably too early to to you know sort of publicly give any uh uh any uh, any tangible insights into what it's gonna look like. Uh yeah, just sort of at the at the drawing board now, looking at how we can uh, we can connect the the products together really nicely.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty fresh that announcement, right? So that that's that's understandable. I it's, imagine though, yeah. like that integration play that you're talking about, the first kind of like one dashboard, that must be really bloody hard, right? Like integrating <laughs> like all of the acquisitions, getting all of the data, like creating a platform and a product that is all seamlessly integrated, must be quite a challenge
1: it's super hard. Yeah. You would think, <laughs> from a, and from an outsider perspective, you think, well, yeah, that's like the first thing that you should do, right? Like after, I don't know, after a month, it should just be there. Uh, but yeah, incredibly, incredibly hard. Uh, Yapo, I don't think a lot of people know this. Um, Yapo has an in-house team of data scientists. So like PhDs who specialize just in, uh, yeah, just in, uh data but from a from an engineering perspective yeah so they're actually the ones who have been building this unified database and uh and yeah uh not an easy project by any means uh year, literally years in the in the making and so yeah we're just it, it's just gonna be super exciting when it's out there and there's gonna be all sorts of really awesome practical use cases for um for our merchants and so uh so yeah no it's gonna be gonna be really exciting when uh when it comes out
0: so, um, I want to pose a question to you. you you're looking at a three-year-old tech company in the DDC space, probably similar to someone that we might know, and you're looking to invest. What would you be looking for right now? Who are you looking at? Hypothetically, of course.
1: <laughs> right, hypothetically, Not- hypothetically. And let, let's sorry. just assume,
0: yeah, Josh is Josh's VC fund. You're, you're going in, nothing to do with Yoppo. Like, who would you be interested in? What do you What do you think's exciting right now?
1: I was going to say, this isn't because I'm also the one who's supposed to be responsible for uh, identifying these kinds of companies for Yahoo and, uh, and buying. <laughs> it. it's, uh, totally well, you out. could give
0: me some insight there. I, I imagine that's kind of sensitive. But yeah, let's assume this is just a fully hypothetical situation. Like what, what interesting things and maybe like what do you think is underserved in the, the app ecosystem right now? So maybe it doesn't exist.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's um, I uh, I joke, but actually, uh, there are so many kind of cool technologies that yeah, for yadpo are still are still too too early, right? To to bring into the fold, but there are definitely some that were that we're sort of monitoring and uh, some things that uh, uh, that that I'm excited about. Um, just a yeah. So, uh, so specifically in terms of in terms of looking to invest, right? I think I um, in general, it's uh, there are a lot of um. Uh, there's first, it's a great time to be a, uh, a D2c brand, right? So uh, if I look at 2017, 2018, just the, um, the multiple that was getting put on these businesses by investors or by acquirers was uh, was very, very different than, uh, than, than it is now. In other words, uh, some of our some of our uh, our customers back then, we're getting acquired for one times or two times revenue, that sort of thing. Uh, when you look at some of the, the D2C darlings, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, which have gone public in the past few months, whether it's uh, FIGs or Allbirds or Lulu's, I think even last week, uh, the, the the multiples are, are very, very different and, and, and in a good way if you're a D2C company. And so I think what, what investors are probably looking for is... Um, is defensibility and repeatability, right? So it's in other words that, that you have something that, that is very unique, just given that it is much easier to start a, a D 2 C company today. Uh, and in many cases that that is the that is the but i think it can also be like we talked about it can be the community mm. it can be other things that are very proprietary and, and unique and then it's also repeatability in terms of being able to attract and and retain customers right so i think it's it's no longer acceptable to to bring customers in uh and then uh and then not you know uh not be able to Retain them, let's Mm -hmm. say, because it's still you know cheap enough to uh, to go out and get more. But I think that sort of thing is changing, and so, but I think it's it's good in the sense that it means that investors are um, uh, are are recognizing that e-commerce can be a very repeatable business, just like uh, you know, just like software is, or something along those lines. And so, (laughs) for the ones for for the the companies that do it successfully. Uh, yeah they're creating very very valuable d2c companies um and then just in terms of like from a technology perspective what we look at i think there are a lot of really exciting spaces uh i think some of the the <clears throat> the really the ones that are still a bit out there at least here in the us are um uh, but are really really exciting are, and uh, some of the some of the live shopping things, I think, are really interesting and just uh, I think there are other parts of the world where it's it is very popular. And I think there are some just some initial success stories and just a lot of success that e-commerce brands uh, and seem to be starting to have with that. So uh, that's something that uh, that's something that we're looking at. I still think the um, uh, the AR VR thing is super interesting. Uh, not least because, you know, there are now large tech companies who really want to, to bring consumers into that space also. So I just think the ability to be able to, the closer you can get to, you know, touching and feeling a product before you buy it. It's yeah. going to be very, very important or uh, just it's going to really, really drive um, people to continue to feel comfortable shopping. Shopping, uh, you know, shopping online versus uh, versus in store, and uh, so I think I think those things are just uh, really interesting. But yeah, those are you know some of the especially the uh, the AR, VR, that's borderline nerdy for now, right? We have to see how that uh, how that develops in the coming years.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think the live shopping thing is super super interesting. In fact, I had a guy called Sam Jones on the podcast. This is oh, last year sometime. He's got a an app called Ooh Five O's. I think they've listed on the Canadian Stock Exchange. They seem to be taking off. It's gone crazy. He spent time in, I think, he, um, at, either at TikTok or whatever the precursor to TikTok was, and he's kind of seen that, like you know, the, the you know the UK, US were way behind on all that sort of stuff. So there seems like it's playing, you know, major catch up. But uh, yeah, I agree. I think that the AR VR thing is kind of still feels like it's cool, but not hasn't got to that real. It's not there quite yet no you know what i mean it's yeah it's like i like the idea that i can like put the thing on my desk or whatever and like increase the size of it and go oh that's right but yeah i can't quite see it just yet as being a, a problem solver
1: yeah exactly exactly but if we're hey if we're all in the uh the face <laughs> yeah <laughs> man exactly hey, different story but <laughs> exactly not 10 years thing. No exactly most-
0: um, right. Final question projecting outwards. Um, what's Josh doing in 2025?
1: Oh, you say you saved the, uh, the toughest question for last time. Huh? <laughs> Tim, I didn't expect that. Um, no, it just, uh, I, you know, I think it's, I think it's a good question. Uh, I think that, uh, at bottom bottom line, I know it's probably not the most, uh, not the most exciting answer in the world, but I think there's a good chance Josh is, uh, Josh is at a, a larger Yacht boat. um I think there's a lot of really exciting stuff for us to do still. It feels like, uh, it feels like the early days on a, on a number of different fronts. And uh, I think just e-commerce, there, there aren't many more exciting places to be than e-commerce. And mm. I feel like I have the, the very, very unique privilege and I remind myself all the time that uh, to get to be what we're, I feel like I, I get to be in the center of it, which I think is uh, it's just very humbling in in many ways. Uh, you know, if you had to ask me, well, if Josh isn't at Yachtpo in 2025, what's he doing? I do think that uh, it, it would be another company in some way, shape, or form. Um, there's always the, in many ways, I think there's always the interest of if you're on the technology side starting uh starting a brand of your own. And I think I think there's something super interesting about that. Uh I think it would it would probably be with some sort of um I don't know maybe with some sort of uh altruistic bend to it. Um I'm super interested in uh in uh healthcare. I come from a, a family of uh uh doctors and uh and other healthcare providers and so yeah, I think there's some um, I think it's probably something that maybe blends e-commerce and different healthcare delivery mechanisms and mm-hmm. things like that um but as you can tell uh that's super not well formed by any means so uh so if i had to if i had to be a betting person yeah, you might still see me around here we can um we'll do another episode of the podcast in uh, 2025 if that works for you
0: yeah I think that that's a deal we will reconvene uh, in the latter <laughs> part of 2025. Um, I think that's a great way to end the podcast. Josh, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thanks so much, Tim. It was uh, it was a privilege and uh, hopefully helpful. Thanks so much for having me.
0: There you go. Massive thank you to Josh for joining me. Before I go, a quick word for my sponsor, Yotpo, the leading e-commerce marketing platform to increase customer engagement, promote community advocacy, and improve retention. If you want to learn more, go visit them at yachtpo.comslash your basket is empty. And as always, if you like the episode, please leave a review, subscribe, download, and tell all your mates to do exactly the same. I'll see you next time.